Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 39. If you don't have a Bible, we have some of the chair backs in front of you. Uh, we also have these verses up on the screen. It says, And when He had called, this being Jesus, when He had called the people to Himself, with His disciples also, He said to them, Whoever desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for My sake and for the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father for the holy angels. Can we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, I thank You that, that, that You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. Lord, you, you did not count it above Yourself to make Yourself into the likeness of mankind, to come to this earth to die for me. So Lord, You weren't ashamed of me. Lord, let me not be ashamed of You. Father, strengthen me, encourage me. Lord, I pray that even now You send Your Holy Spirit into this place. Lord, let it begin to penetrate the hearts, each and every heart here, Lord, that we can be encouraged, and Lord, we can walk away today knowing that You are with us, and You are for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Uh, what I, want, I want to talk a little bit this morning, I want to answer one question, because how many of you have noticed that things are getting a little haywire here in the good old U.S. of A.? And, and the rest of the world. I mean, to be honest with you, we're just beginning to see the effects of the haywireness going on in the USA. It's been going on haywire in many other countries for a long time. And we're starting to see the effects of, of things. And uh, at some point in time, maybe in, in the next several months, uh, maybe when we come back from, from summer break on Wednesday nights, I'm going to do just a series on worldviews and having an understanding of what does it mean to have a biblical Christian worldview. But but none of this stuff takes God by surprise, and it didn't just happen overnight. How many of you know that, that, that people's minds are kind of messed up a little bit? I mean, you can see the effects of that. But I want to I just ask, this is the question I want to answer this morning, is how do we, as Christians, come on, if you're a Christian, say amen. amen. How do we as Christians continue to be a witness for Christ when the world around us seems to be falling apart? Okay. How do we as Christians continue to be a witness for Christ? How do we continue to win souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do we continue to snatch souls out, to work with God, to snatch souls out of the very pits of hell in this, in this sinful and adulterous generation? This is the question that I pose to answer to some degree this morning. But I believe it begins with these words of Jesus that says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and generation, this adulterous and sinful generation, also will I be ashamed of him when I come back in glory. It begins with, we don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. Last week, I preached a message that we're unashamed of the gospel. 
But Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the what? The power of God unto salvation. Come on, the thing that the world needs isn't better legislation. The, the world doesn't need better politicians. The world doesn't need a better church. The world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what trans, transforms souls. Man, I, I went to 70 AA meetings before God touched my heart and delivered me from alcoholism. I couldn't get enough intellectual knowledge. I couldn't get enough friends and accountability groups. It took a touch from God to change my life. It's the gospel. We don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. In fact, I can, I can take this text to have this, to this understanding where if, if we're ashamed of Jesus, then He'll be ashamed of us. How many of y'all know that? we got to get past this shame thing. I'm, I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Come on, I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed to call each and every one of you friends. Some of that, some, for some of y'all, it's a little tougher. I'm just picking. I'm just picking. Kenny, don't, don't poke Jennifer. Come on, if, if, if we're not ashamed of Him, how many of y'all know He won't be ashamed of us? And what the enemy wants to do in this season is to, to do nothing more than, than to make us ashamed of Jesus Christ. And we don't have anything to be ashamed about. I, I want to um, uh, uh, just kind of start off this morning and, and talk about that. And, 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 but, but before we do that, I want us to just take, do, take, just take a second to do something. Okay, Just take a little second. Come on, Just do like this. Everybody do like, like you're grabbing the bill of your hat and take it off. Okay, We're taking our political hat off. Oh, we're taking our religious hat off. Come on. Oh, we're taking our preconceived notion hat off. I'm not going to talk. This is not a political message. Okay? This has nothing to do with politics. Now, this isn't a culture message. This isn't a popular opinion message. Come on. I, I didn't wear my, my donkey badge. Or I didn't wear my, my, uh, my elephant badge when I walked in. Okay? I, I left those right outside. This has nothing to do with, I want to just clearly state that, for the record, nothing to do with politics. Everybody quit. Nothing to do with religion. Nothing to do with all. This is everything to do with the Word of God. Okay, it's, it's everything to do with the Word of God. We don't need to be ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation. I believe that the enemy, when we begin to take a stand against the enemy, how many of you... Have ever been? Have, if you've been a Christian for more than five years, raise your hand, right? How many of you, of, of you people who've been, I mean, if you can be a Christian for more than five minutes, but just five years, how many of you have ever felt some persecution come against you for, be, for your faith? And when I say persecution, you may not have been beaten or bloodied and stuff, but man, I've had some, some family members really come against me. But how many of you realize when we begin to take a stand for the gospel, the enemy takes notice of that? The Bible even says that the enemy, the devil, it says he, he, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And when we begin to declare the truth of Jesus Christ, well, the enemy puts a target on your back. He, he's not afraid of... Listen, the, the devil is not afraid of you sitting in these pews or these chairs or whatever. He's not afraid of me preaching even in this church. The devil, when he gets afraid, is when we begin to speak in public about the things of God and it's the things in this Word. 
So we're going to take our political hats off. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to not think about all that stuff. We're going to begin to talk about the Word of God here this morning. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, Peter says this, he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Basically, he's saying, I'm stirring up and reminding you that the Word of God is what you need to stand on. He says, because knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Peter is saying, friends, I mean, this is the same Peter that walked with Jesus for three solid years. He saw Jesus baptized in the Jordan River. He, saw, he, he, he heard the stories and he saw with his own eyes the miraculous works of Jesus. This is the same Peter that saw Jesus, uh, people, Lazarus be raised from the dead. The same, Jesus that saw, the same Peter that saw Jesus raised from the dead. The same Peter that denied Jesus three times. The same Peter that, that at some point on the day of Pentecost, he's baptized with the Holy Ghost. He preaches to thousands and three thousand. This is how many of you realize that Peter knows the power of God? And he's saying, in the last days, he's saying, listen to me. I'm your friend, Peter. But there's coming a time when, 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 when there will be scoffers that begin to rise up in the world who will be drawn away just by their own sinful lusts and desires. This is a sign of the last days. Friends, as the pastor of this church, as your pastor, as an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am bound by the blood of Christ to declare the truth that we are in the last days. We need to begin to prepare our hearts. The time for easy Christianity is come to an end. We need to begin to make decisions for Christ and not be ashamed of that. I'm here today to stir you up because we see scoffers. Whenever, listen, again, no political hats. I'm just preaching out of the Word of God. But when a congressman of this United States stands up on the floor of the House of Representatives and declares publicly in front of a microphone that God is not welcome in this house and God has no authority in this house and for the rest of his, his people to not stand up and say anything about that, friends, we are in the last times. When our leaders and and those who, who try to fight for our country turn their back on the very God who led us here. We are in the last days. Church, we got to stand up. We need not be ashamed of the gospel. He's not going to be ashamed of you. He won't abandon you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. This is the God creator of the heavens and the earth. There are scoffers in the land. We need not be ashamed of the gospel. Many times as at the, what the, the enemy tries to do to cause us to feel shame is he tries to bring accusations against us. Again, I ha- I'll repeat this in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. When we make a decision to stand against the adversary, he puts a target on our back. I've even heard that things like, oh, well, the church is just bigoted. We're just a bunch of bigots. 
and racist. We're, we're just a bunch of, a, a bunch of haters. Un, even calling the church uncaring. A cult or too political. The church isn't supposed to be political, remember? I don't know where that's at, written. It's not. You see, this is, this is the tactics of the enemy to try to bring shame upon the believer. Why? Because if they can shame you, then if the devil can shame you, then he can quiet you. We need not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. God is not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed of you. When we begin to stand on the Word of God, we have nothing to be ashamed about. We live in this adulterous and sinful generation. You know, that, that word adulterous there that Jesus is talking about is, is you know, uh, we, we understand the concept of adultery, but that same term is used many times with the Israeli people. You see, God delivered Israel out of the land of Egypt and He made them a holy nation, a royal priesthood. See, we are, they become married in essence, bound in blood to God, to Yahweh. In the same way, Christians, we are, we are grafted into the body of Christ. We are grafted into the nation of Israel. Now through the blood, the new covenant, the blood covenant of Jesus Christ, we are now born again believers. We are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And he's saying that, that in the end times, he's saying we need not be ashamed of the gospel, but there's, a, there's this adulterous generation who has turned their very back on the blood of Jesus Christ. This covenant that was made with, with the pilgrims and those who came before us, and even with our, our, our founding fathers who built our, our nation on the Word of God, we have turned our very backs on Him. And we have become an adulterous nation. We have committed adultery against Christ. You see, Christianity is not just a club. Christianity is not just a, an organization. You're not a Christian because your name is on the membership role of a church. You are a Christian because you came and died at an altar and gave your life fully to Jesus. And you are a Christian because Jesus died on a cross and shed His blood for each and every one of you. And in that, a new covenant is formed. One with which we celebrate through the act of communion. We are communing with God. And whenever we... Whenever we don't stand on the Word, we don't stand for truth, we trample underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not my opinion. It's not my perspective. It's not my understanding. It's not my generation. It's not because I'm a millennial or a whatever, X, Z, or boomer or whatever. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? I feel like today the church finds itself in a very dangerous place. We stand between two evils, two evil thoughts. I don't want to get into it a whole lot this morning, but just have this understanding. The church can either fall into two categories. One is pride and the other is shame. Well, The, the church is in equal danger of falling into this, this position of pride where we say, well, there are sinners that, that they don't qualify for the gospel. In Matthew chapter 9, 
There's an instance when Jesus, he stands between these two evils. Matthew chapter 9, verse 8, it says, Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. You see, I believe that this is where the church wants to be. When we come together, we want to sing and praise and celebrate and dance and rejoice, man. Rejoice in the Lord always. Man, again I say, again I say rejoice. This is where the, this is where I want to live my life, you know. I just want to live in that worship song, man. Doing the Pentecostal dance, you know. It's just where it is. But, but in reality, that's just the celebration of what God has done. When we come together, church service on Sunday is not the fulfillment of our Christian experience. It's the celebration of our Christian experience. Well, I, I come here because I'm celebrating rejoice that, man, the devil is, is he, he, he's slayed out there. He's beat. He, like I said, the essence, the aroma of his defeat is filling the land. Jesus comes into this place and all the people are celebrating. They're excited. They're happy. But just before that, there was a time when Jesus, he, he, he says it in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 1, it says, And so he got into a boat, this being Jesus, and crossed over and he came to his own city. And then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes, accusations, shame, pain. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to the house. And then it says that everybody celebrated. You see, in the church world, they want to try to relegate us to just ministering to the poor and to the paralytic. They want to keep us in the food pantries, but they want to keep us out of Capitol Hill. You see, they say, hey, Jesus, I mean, part of our faith, the Pentecostal full gospel faith, spirit-filled faith, I believe that Jesus is the healer. He can heal the paralytic. He has the power to deliver. He has the power to forgive sins. He has the power to change hearts. He has the power to transform minds. This is the God I serve. But we live in a world where church people, they will come against church people and say, well, that's not the real Jesus. So you get shamed for, for, for living out the miraculous life. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit is still alive and functioning within me, that we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And man, shame for that. It goes on, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says, As Jesus passed on from there, because he was wanting to get out of there pretty quick, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. And now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him, his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
So when it's too much for the Pharisees, when it's too much for the religious folks, when it's too much for the, for the intellectuals that Jesus is the healer, Jesus is the deliverer, Jesus is the forgiver. So then Jesus goes to the officials, to the tax collectors, to the sinners, to the world and say, that's too much too, Jesus. It's okay, go back to the paralytic, but stay out of the, out of the White House, out of the, out of the state senate. See, what is a tax collector? It's someone who collects taxes and lives off their, they earn their wages from the taxes of the people. Tax collectors are, in essence, politicians. You know, in this current context, uh, they, were, they were wealthy people, and we can exegize all of that, but know this, tax collectors weren't liked very much. They were kind of hard to get along with. Let me tell you, the same Jesus that, that raised the paralytic can save the politician. The world wants to keep us out of the, out of the White House. They want to keep us out of the state Senate. Friends, I want you to know that God is still the God of the House of Representatives. God is still the God of the Senate. God is still the God of the White House. God is still the God of, of America. He is still our deliverer. He is still our healer. He is still our hope. He is still our solution. Just because, I mean, God is God. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's, yeah, He's sovereign. He's holy. He's righteous. He's God. Our nation just stands in rebellion against that. So I ask again, how do we continue to be a witness for Christ when the world around us seems to be falling apart? How do we still maintain our witness? How do we, for, for one, we need to know the Word of God, but I want to talk about three specific areas here, here this morning, and I'll, I'll try to get through these quickly. And we find these in Mark chapter 8, verses 34. Three aspects of the Christian walk. I believe the first one is desire. The second one is decision. And the third aspect is discipleship. We need to get an understanding of desire. We need to begin to make decisions that lead us to discipleship. We need to begin to build our lives based upon the Word of God. And this is the truth of God. It begins with, with making a decision for Christ. And we have to understand... But look... The 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God begins with the first, the first one is that the Scripture is God-breathed. It is the Word of God. It is profitable for, for doctrine. Well, this is it. Even, even in the Reformation, Martin Luther said, he penned this statement, sola scriptura, it's the Word of God and the Word of God alone. And when we begin to make laws in our land, when we begin to make laws in our nation and make decisions, we need to address what does the Word of God say? And listen, to not listen and not adhere to the Word of God is direct rebellion against the Creator of the heavens and the earth. Here recently they had a... a um, uh, Amazon had announced that they were going to discontinue some certain books because they spoke against transgenderism and homosexuality and things like that. Basically, censorship in the United States. Apparently, Amazon, thankfully, hasn't read the Bible yet. Because let me tell you, the Bible has some specific things to say. It's the Word of God. It's not my words. Don't get mad at me when the Bible says, and not, I'm not even talking about Old Testament. I'm talking about the book of Romans, New Testament, that a man should not dress like a woman. And that a woman should not dress like a man. These are clear issues spelled out in the Bible. It's not me. See, if you want to be a Christian, you have to 
Build your life around Scripture, not around popular opinion, not around what you think is right, not around socialism, not around communism, not around... It's the Word of God. This isn't a political message. This is our, our nation as it goes down this path of equality is going into a path of sin and rebellion and judgment. In the last day, scoffers will come. And they'll be drawn away to their own lusts, their own desires, their own temptations, their own wants, their own desires. This is what lust is. I'm not saying that a person doesn't have a... a, 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 a they don't have a desire for another person. That they may even love another person, but that doesn't make it righteous. It doesn't make it holy. I'm a married man. If I had affections toward another woman, that would be adultery. That would be wicked and evil. As a man, if I had desires for another man, then that is, that's, that's wicked and evil in the eyes of God. It's hard. If anybody else wants to be the pastor, you're welcome to. Sometimes you just got to say hard things. Mark says this, whoever desires to come after me. Man, this is, this is whoever desires to come after me. Well, how many of y'all want to be a good person? And that's really what this is all about. We want to be good. I'm a good person. You know, goodness is judged against what you, what you call ultimate goodness. Even Jesus says, none are good but God. Nothing is good but the Word of God. We all want to be a good... We have this desire within us. And I believe that many people want to be Christians. They want to, they want to follow Jesus. When Jesus says, if you desire to follow after me, if you desire to come after me... See, Jesus isn't talking about like discipleship on this earth. See, Jesus gave this promise. He said, I have to go away, but I'm going to a place to build a dwelling place for you, a mansion for you. Jesus goes into heaven so that way He can welcome you into eternity on that glorious day when He is welcomed back with a trumpet sound and an angelic host come and rapture the church back to eternity. Jesus has a place prepared for you. And He says, if anyone wants to come after me, if you desire to follow me into eternity, we all have a desire. But how many of you know desires are very short-lived? I remember when I was growing up, I had a desire. I wanted to be a cowboy and an astronaut and a doctor. I want to be a cowboy astronaut doctor. I, didn't, I mean, I don't know how many of people were hiring for that. But I had these desires within me but I didn't really fully understand the implications of what it took to become that. I want to be a Christian. I need to understand the full implications of what it means to become a Christian. You can't just raise your hand, say a sinner's prayer, and all is good. We'll meet you in eternity. Maybe that's the first step. The first step is desire. But Jesus lays out clearly, He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's not just about an emotional decision. Man, I remember sitting in a jail cell one day and a man of God came in there and he preached the gospel. How many of you know it's easy to repent when you're sitting in a jail cell? Anything is pretty much better than that. Or, 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 or the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Well, how many of you know it's easy to repent when you're caught in the very act of sin? It's easy to repent. I mean, I remember catching my kids when they were little. I'd catch them with their hand in the cookie jar. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, you just got caught. You're sorry you got caught. The desire is not enough. We have to make a decision. 
We have to allow, if you want to be a Christian, then you need to know the full implications of that desire. Man, I want to be saved. I want to be a Christian. But Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. I believe that denial is a decision. I mean, I, man, I've been on many weight loss journeys in my life. I, I mean, I know you can't really tell, but, but how many of y'all have ever been on a diet? Just, I mean, been on a diet? A couple people. I remember, I mean, one time I really had this desire to lose weight. So I said, well, I'm going to go buy an exercise book. So I went and bought the book, and I stuck it on my bookshelf. And you know what? I haven't lost a pound yet. It didn't, but that book obviously doesn't work. Obviously. Diet didn't work, right? We see, it's because I had a desire, but I haven't made a decision. It's the same way. I can be a Christian. I can go buy a Bible, and, and I can put it up on the shelf. But if I don't read it, if I don't apply it, if I don't eat it, if I don't live by it, it has no changing effect in my life. I, I, I'm in the same shape I was when I first started. We have to begin to allow our desires to become decisions. Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Well, how many of you know, if you want to go on a, di a diet, the first thing you need to learn is denial. Don't deny your weight. You have to deny the boudin. You got to deny the cracklings. Well, you can eat broccoli in the morning, but if you're eating pizza for lunch, it's not going to work. Well, you can pray in the morning. Come on, and cuss and spit and holler at lunch. Come on, looking at porn and all these other things. How many of you know it's going to have a negative effect? Let him deny himself. We're, we're three-part beings. I, I love this analogy of the diet because, because it's a direct co correlation between what happens in our, in, in, our, in our soul and in our spirit life. You know, in the physical, we can see it clearly. If I eat bad food, I can see it clearly in my life. I can feel it, right? It's the same way in our soul. We're, we're a, uh, we are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. So in the same way, if, if, if I'm feeding my soul junk, how many of you know my soul gets downcast? And when I'm listening to depressing music, and I'm watching these bad movies, and I keep reading these gross books, and I keep hanging out with bad people, when it begins to wear down on my soul, my mind, will, and my emotions, and I become downcast. Why are you downcast, oh, my soul? We need to feed our soul different things. We need to feed our spirit different things. I mean, how many of you know, we can sometimes, I mean, even in worship, man, we get so righteous that these feet just cannot leave the ground. Come on, but whenever we begin to rejoice and we begin to celebrate, man, something comes alive in my spirit. It's like it turns on. When I begin to eat good food, something comes alive in my body. I hate running, but man, when I start, like I get a mile down the road, I'm feeling great just until you ain't. We have to make a decision. That's that. It's a desire that leads to a decision. Desire is not enough. To want to be a Christian, I, I, that's great. That's the first step. You have to turn that desire into a decision, and that decision turns into discipleship. He says this. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow who? Me follow Jesus, that God says we need to become disciples of who? Jesus. He says that this is what he says in verse 38. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. You see, we need to let our desires become a decision for discipleship 
and allow the life of Jesus Christ to begin to live in us. Let the words of Jesus Christ begin to live within us and become disciples of Jesus Christ. Don't become a disciple of Joe. Become a disciple of Jesus. Don't become a disciple of Robert Morris. Become a disciple of Jesus. Don't become a disciple of Bill Johnson. Become a disciple of Jesus. Now let this Word of God begin to speak into you and change you. And when you read the words, say, I don't understand it. I may not even agree with it, but Lord, I made a decision a long time ago that I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross and follow you. Man, it's hard whenever you're on a diet and you go to a pizza place and try to order a salad. Come on, it's hard as you're, when you're a Christian Whenever, whenever you're going into uh, 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 you, you, the, the break room and you start hearing nasty jokes, you have to continue to be a witness. Or, or when, the, when everything that's popular around you, students at school, and, and, and you don't understand it all, you have to continue to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Well, racism is wickedness, not because Black Lives Matter said so, but because the Word of God says so. We are to love people. We have to tell them the truth. We have to live according to Scripture. Uh, let, let me... we got a minute. I, I just want to use a little bit of rationality. A little bit of understanding. Let's just say this. If I was... You know, one of these arguments with, with the Equality Act is this. That, that there's, a, there's a whole group of people who feel that, you know, because of their their transgenderism, their homosexuality, they're committing suicide and all these things, you know. And this is a tragedy and we need to address it. And we address it through the truth, through the Word of God. The gospel is the power of God and salvation. The gospel is still the solution. It's still the answer. We need to love them. But legalizing it is not the solution. If I use that same rationality, it would be like, you know, the number one cause of drug overdose. You know what the number, number one cause of drug overdose is? Drug use. I mean, it's just, I know. But people are dying every day because of drug overdoses. So, in order, so using the same logic, I would say then that, well, if I want to try to lower the drug overdose rate, then I'm just going to legalize drugs. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. If I said, well, there, you know, people are dying from car accidents, from drunk drivers, drunk driving. So, so because of that, instead of trying to stop drunk driving, I'm just going to legalize drunk driving and hope for a different result. Legalizing something doesn't change something. Legalizing sin doesn't change sin. The truth changes sin. The gospel changes sin. The love of Jesus Christ changes sin. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We may have victories, we may have wins, but if we have to be willing to say sometimes, sometimes profit, some profits aren't worth having. 
The only way the gospel works is that we have to give our profits away. We have to become, we have to have a desire to make a decision, to become disciples. That way we can become ambassadors for Christ. We have to be willing. Listen, I, I don't become a, a Christian just so I can live a better life. I, come, I become a Christian so that my life can become profitable so that way I can reinvest it into the life of others. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? You see, we can even have Christian profitability and be successful, but if we're not reinvesting it into the kingdom, then our profits become loss. I hope that makes sense to somebody. If we want to keep our profits, our own benefits, then we've already lost the battle. So how do we continue to be a witness for Christ when the world around us seems to be falling apart? For one, we need to allow our desires to become decisions. We need to make a decision today to be disciples of Jesus Christ. You need to make a decision today to allow the Word of God to be the truth of God in your life. You need to allow the Bible to be what disciples you, what teaches you, what educates you, where you build your life upon. Not popular opinion. Not rationality. What do we need to do? How do we continue to be a witness? Speak truth. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. In fact, can we just stand together? It makes me feel better when y'all are standing up. I would ask you this question. If, if anything else, would you seek to know truth for yourself today? What does the Bible say? Where do you base the truth of your life upon? What do you base truth upon? This is called epistemology. What is the origin of truth for you? Is the origin of truth popularity? Because friends, you'll be, you'll be swayed back and forth, to and fro like crazy. Because that changes almost every single day. Is it, is it, is it, is, is the, your source of truth the appearance of goodness? Well, let me tell you, man. If that's your source of truth, then, then what most people do is they just surround themselves with people who they're better than. It makes them feel good about themselves. It's a path of, of decline. I'm just going to surround myself with lesser people. I tell you, it's easier to preach in jail than it is to preach in church. Am I going to base my truth upon my own reason and logic and understanding? Well, that always falls short. A couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to fly to Africa, and I went in an airplane. And although I have some basic understandings of the mechanics of airplanes, you couldn't just hand me a cutting torch and a drill and expect me to build one. I don't understand it that much, but yet I trusted it. I rode on it for 13 hours across the Atlantic Ocean and landed safely in another country. We don't have to understand things always to trust things. Sometimes we just have to trust things and we have to trust the Word of God and it's truth. I may not understand, but I can know that it's truth.
I may not understand how the airplane flies and turns, but yet I still got in it. And I made it back by the grace of God. Are we making, so are we basing our, our concept of truth, our epistemology, are we basing that upon reason, logic, understanding, knowledge? Well, knowledge is always... I mean, we're, you realize we're learning something new every day. In, in the year 1900, there was legislation in the House of Congress to actually shut down the patent office because they said, well, in the year 1900, everything that could possibly be invented will be invented. Can you imagine that? You know how much stuff has been invented since 1900? More stuff than it was ever invented before 1900. So if knowledge and information is your basis of truth, know this, then your truth will constantly change. The only truth we can stand upon is the Word of God. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me. And when we do that, He won't be ashamed of you. He'll call you His own. You'll hear those, He'll call you His own. You'll hear those words in eternity. Well done, good and faithful servant. So if you're not okay with the idea of being called a servant, heaven may not be the best place for you. Jesus even said, I didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. So much truth in the Bible. We would just open it and read it. Amen? So I'll just ask you, what, what do you base your truth on? That's the question. Where do you base truth? The second question would be, how do you live truth? Does truth just become some abstract thought that lives off in far space? Or can we live truth today, here, now? That's called methodology. How do we express our truth in the world? One way that we do that, I was just looking over at Michelle. She, you know, she helps and serves people in our food pantry. We know that Jesus says that, that in Matthew 25, you see people hungry, you give them food. We live out that truth every day. Jesus, God says that He dwells upon the praises of His people. We worship, we celebrate truth. We bow our heads together. I just feel led to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that these words are heavy. Lord, I know that these words are hard, but Father, I believe today that when we grab hold of your truth and your righteousness, Lord, that your glory will shine forth in it. Lord, that these words aren't meant to be condemnation, but Lord, just the conviction of the Holy Spirit would come upon us. Lord, that we have a promise of life. We have a promise of, of eternity with you. So Father, I pray that even now, Lord, you begin to pierce our hearts not with accusations, but with peace and love. Lord, as we make a decision today, as we have a desire to be saved, as we have a desire to be in your presence, Lord, let us and lead us and guide us to a decision that we might be disciples. for your kingdom and for your glory. 
Father, I pray that even now, Lord, those who struggle with these ideas, Lord, that you touch their hearts. Lord, lead them and guide them to truth. Send your Holy Spirit to bring comfort and guidance. Lord, I pray for for Jerry Nadler, Lord, that you would touch his his heart with, with the truth of Jesus Christ. Pray for all of our senators and congressmen, for our president, vice president. Lord, that you touch them with your love, truth. Lord, that they can lead our nation into truth and righteousness by your word. Not by politics or partisanship, but Lord, in truth and in peace and righteousness. Lord, I thank you for that. And I give you all the glory, honor, and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.